I'm going to retitle this song, My Testimony, and I hope when you hear it, it will become your testimony. out my days life carried me along in my soul I yearn to follow God but knew I'd never be so strong I looked hard at this world to learn how heaven could be gained just to end where I began where human effort is all in vain were it not for grace I can tell you where I'd be Wandering down some pointless road to nowhere With my salvation up to me And I know how that would go The battles I would face Forever running But losing the race Were it not for grace So here is all my praise Expressed with all my heart Offered to my Jesus Who took my place And ran a course I could not start And when he saw in full Just how much his love would cost He still went the final mile Between me and heaven So I would not be lost Were it not for grace I can tell you where I'd be Wandering down some pointless road To nowhere With my salvation up to me And I know how that would go the battles I would face Forever running 
but losing the race were it not for grace forever running but losing the race were it not Good morning, good morning. What a pleasure to be here with you all this morning. I can tell you, before you start your preacher's clock, let me say a few words just to get going here. What, how special it is, it is for Gracie and Presley to be here and be a part of that because Christ's church is at work when we see baptisms like this. It's evident that, that fathers and grandfathers are pastoring their families that moms and grandmothers are living out the gospel day to day. And then what happens? The Lord re reaches into these wretched little ones' hearts, because they are wretched, right? Even at these ages, and transforms them. And to be able for us as a church body to come together and share as these ones join the many, special. Alan said it very well, just to, just to hit the point, what a wonderful... Because that's why we come together, right? We come here to worship. We come here to learn. We come here to grow, to go outside and, and teach and share this blessed truth with the lost and dying world. And we've got little ones in our families that are lost and dying as well. Just as important for them. So praise the Lord for that. The second thing I wanted to share is that this church, though I am rarely physically here holds such a special place in my heart because of the relationships that I have with your pastors over, I won't tell you the number of decades, but it is many, going way back. And I could tell you some stories about Jim Mudd that makes grace so real. And he could tell several about me as well. But I have, uh, with the exception of my church, I have prayed for your church probably more than any church that I've ever been, a, been known of. And I think in like fashion, with the exception of my church, your church has probably played for me and my family and our church family more than any other church. And that is very, very special. So that's why standing here in this place is so wonderful this morning to share in worship together. We said yesterday, you're not the audience right? You are the players as we worship Almighty God, and we lift up this worship to Him. And we have been doing that. We've done it in singing. We've done it in prayer, the reading of God's Word. We're going to do it now, the pinnacle, right? The pinnacle of worship is when we open up the Scriptures, and we share the truth of God's Word, that it continues to transform us and prepares us as we have opportunity to share this blessed truth that this world so desperately needs. Amen? All right. You can hack your clock. Open your Bibles to Colossians chapter 2. And if you, uh, we're gonna, this is a wonderful, wonderful epistle that Paul wrote to the church at Colossae. 
Uh, as we, before we actually get to the, the actual scriptures as you're finding it, I'm going to give a little history of what of Paul during this, his ministry in this entire region. Uh, the timeline, of course, is taken from the book of Acts and, and Paul's epistles himself to kind of line all this up, how this plays out. We know he was instrumental in founding the church at Ephesus and others in Asia Minor, where he spent about three years. And it's very likely that while Paul was ministering in Ephesus, a young man named Epaphras came there and Paul won him to the, Lord, the, the, Lord, the truth of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ by sharing the gospel with him. And Epaphras returned to Colossae and became the founder of the Colossian Assembly. Paul finished those three years in Ephesus, after which he spent a winter in Greece, uh, and from which he perhaps wrote, wrote Romans and Corinthians. And then he went back to Jerusalem where he was arrested He was eventually taken to Caesarea. We see that in Acts 23, and he was imprisoned. And it was uh, there that uh, he completed, after that imprisonment was completed, he was taken to Rome uh, to await trial. At this point, it had been about six years since the church at Colossae was started. And as we pick up the story, Paul is already in Rome awaiting his trial. So Epaphras visits him in Rome, tells him what's going on in the Colossian assembly, and what the situation is there, and Paul sends him back, sends him back with this letter to help them align their doctrine and their understanding with proper teaching, right? So before we get into the passage, now we'll do a little brief synopsis of the entire book of Colossians. So there's 14 introductory verses in Colossians that uh, Paul confirms the truth relating to Christ. He follows it up. The truth relating to Christ in this great doctrinal section of 115 through 27, and presenting the great doctrinal doctrine of Jesus Christ and salvation. So that's the first part of the book. Then he turns, actually at the end, he gives us the practical section, section from 3-1 to about 4-6, and then he gives a few personal words at the end. So we have that doctrinal section at the beginning. And it's followed by this practical how you live your life at the end. But at the center of it, he's dealing with what should characterize the lives of Colossians and all believers. In the middle here is the main argument, the very heart of the letter. It's the dispute. It's the dialogue that Paul, who in essence says, I have shown you Christ in this wonderful salvation through redemption. In a bit, I'll talk about the practical part of that. But before I do, let me expose and warn you about those damning philosophies brought about by those that are outside the church and society and the false teachers that are always trying to invade the church. So that's where we're at. This section actually continues through about verse 19, kind of piddles into verse 23. We're going to try to focus. We don't have enough time today for verses 6 through 10. So let's begin by prayerfully reading the first two verses. So Colossians 2, verse 6. Remember you, therefore, have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him and established in the faith, as you have been taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving. Let's bow together. Father, we pause, knowing that this is the point in this letter to the Colossians where you are completing this great doctrinal section. You have explained Christ, our Lord and Savior, and the way to salvation. And now, so prevalent 
in the world in which we live now comes the warning. Help us in our understanding as we go forward in these next few verses, sharing this blessed truth that we might guard our hearts, that these fathers and grandfathers might guard their families, protecting them from the deceptions that are all around us. Give us understanding, Father, we pray in Christ's precious name. Amen. You know, I actually titled this message, Worldly Philosophy or Biblical Truths. And you could actually call it Philosophy or Christ, because that's what Paul is dealing with. So picking up here in verse 8, we'll just read the first little part of it. Beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy. And that word philosophy is from two Greek words. Phileo means to love. Sophia, wisdom. So their philosophy is the love of wisdom. And throughout history, man has pursued this fascination with the love of wisdom. Where we call this form is philosophy. And it boils down to the effort of man to determine the ultimate causes in the earth and the universe without including the God who created it. Man's effort to determine ultimate causes and explain the reasons for his existence and their own explanation, man's explanation of life, universe, and purpose. And these philosophers have offered endless ideas and solutions. Each has a different twist. There's thousands upon thousands through the ages. Homespun philosophies. And as Paul says, this philosophy is an exercise in the frustration of a degenerate mind, which is trying to determine ultimate truth without the help of God. Because most philosophers do deny God. The few that might allow for God kind of say, yeah, they're God. He kind of started things and kind of spun it out in distant past. But most would full out deny God altogether. Paul says, this is hopeless, cheating you with their empty deceit. He also told the Corinthians, as we see in, you don't need to turn there, but chapter 2, verses 9 and 10, familiar passage, I hath not seen nor ear heard. You cannot discover truth by empiricism. We're going to talk about that. Nor has entered into the heart of man. You can't discover truth by rationalism. The things that God has prepared for those who love Him. Why? Because God has revealed them to us by His Spirit. And His Scripture is very clear that it is the Spirit that gives us that deep understanding of the things of God. So science, that's empiricism. That all knowledge is derived from experience of the senses. And it started back in the 17th and 18th century Philosophers like John Locke, George Berkeley, and David Hume. Philosophy, that's rationalism. Belief or theory that opinions and actions should be based on reason and knowledge rather than God's word or emotional response. And just as we read just here in Corinthians, God says neither of them will ever discover ultimate truth. So let's go back to verse 8. 
Beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit, according to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world, and not according to Christ. Paul gives us two sources that we need to really be aware of. The traditions of men and the elementary principles of the world. Tradition. Now that's, of course, something that's relayed from one to another to another. People believe certain things. They pass it down through years and years and decades and decades. And that tends to give it somewhat of a validity, right? If it's said over and over and over again for a long time. But even though it's said over and over time and time again, does not make it true. And historically we find that philosophers build on the work of previous philosophers to refine the previous system. They reshape it and reform it, right? One guy goes far, so far, the next guy whacks off a bit, the next guy adds a little bit, and the next guy whacks and, whacks and adds, right? And it just kind of continues on. Let me give you an example. Have you ever heard of uniformitarianism? I had to practice to make sure I could say that right. Uniformitarianism. What is that? Let me read it. The theory that natural and geological processes and phenomena are for the most part the result of forces that have operated continuously and with uniformity and without interruption over billions and billions of years, where processes that operated way back in the remote geological past are no different from those observed now. Uniformitarianism became kind of a precursor to evolution. What is evolution? A gradual process occurring over extended periods of time, millions and billions of years, it sounds pretty familiar, where various forms of life change into different and unusually more complex and better forms. George Lyell was an 18th century scientist whose work basically launched uniformitarianism. And in his book, The Principles of Geology, he insisted that the features of Earth's geology must be explainable by natural rather than supernatural means. Everything's natural, going back billions and billions of years. And so he starts with a presupposition that Scripture is untrue. That's his beginning. And his work essentially launched the atheistic naturalism as a basis for scientific research. And that's Charles Lyell. Who would you say launched the theory of evolution? You can say. Darwin, right? When you say Darwin, Charles Darwin. So he sailed on the Beagle, a ship, in 1831 to the island of the Galapagos Islands. And he, really the father of modern um, evolution. And guess what? He took copies of Charles Lyell's book with him. And later in his life, he made this statement. I feel like half of my books came out of Lyle's mind. One guy goes so far. Another guy whacks off a bit, adds a bit, whacks a bit, adds a bit. And things continue to perpetuate. And over and over and over again, it's stated. And in our minds, it's fact. And it's even in our books and our schools. Same thing happened back in Christ's day, first century Judaism. By the time Jesus arrives, the Jewish teachers and leaders, 
They'd encased God's word with so many uh, customs, rituals, and teachings, you couldn't distinguish what they were teaching from the truth. Mark 7, 5 through 9. Then the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, asked Christ, Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat bread and with unwashed hands? He answered and said to them, Well did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written, The people honors me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. And in vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. They developed the sophisticated system of works-based tradition. Verse 8, For laying aside the commandment of God, you hold the tradition of men. The washing of pitchers and cups and many other things you do. He said to them, All too well you reject the commandment of God that you may keep your traditions. There is nothing honoring or sacred about tradition. Nothing. No wonder that philosophers like Bertrand Russell, at the end of his life, 90 years, 70 of that he spent as what he would even term a philosopher. His last words, philosophy has proven a washout to me. A very sad 90-year washout. And we mentioned David Hume, one of those 17th, 18th century philosophers. He was a deistic Scottish philosopher. His own biographers described him as an indecent, immoral, dishonest man. And I quote, He was a teacher of immorality and a staunch denier of God. And his biographers, again categorize his death as an agonizing to the point that the entire bed shook and his lips were filled with cursing and remorse as he drifted off into eternity. And that's the way it goes with philosophers who want to eliminate God and then in their own minds and in their own human effort attempt to discover truth. The latter portion of verse 8, how do they do it? Why do they do it? Not according to Christ. Now, not according to Christ, what does that mean? It's very clear. That's the gospel. Not according to the truth of God's word. John 1.14, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. That's the truth of God's word. And all beliefs, everything stems from the truth of Jesus Christ as Lord. Everything. As we just mentioned, those 17th and 18th century philosophers like John Locke and George Berkeley and David Hume originally heralded philosophies centered on science and hence empiricism, like we said. Here's what a quote about the church. Historically, the recognition of the total truth and trustworthiness of Holy Scripture was never a major controversy within the church. Until the 17th and 18th centuries. That's when all these philosophies began to emerge. By the time you get to the 19th and 20th century, liberal Christianity, and I would argue that there is no such thing, liberal Christianity has abandoned any notion of the full truthfulness and trustworthiness of Scripture. I know this church... Does, does hold to the full truthworthiness and trustfulness of Scripture. 
I said this yesterday. On the very front first page of your website, the home page, right at the top, you've got scrolling the five solas. They just keep going. By grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, for the glory of God alone. Scripture is sufficient. That's what we hold to. Scripture is breathed by an infallible God. He cannot make a mistake. Cannot. It is inerrant. The definition, wholly true in all things that assert in the original autographs and therefore function with the authority of God's own words. It is without error. And cycling on your website, sola scriptura, scripture alone, nothing else. Everything that is necessary, everything binding on our conscience and everything God requires of us, we have in scripture. Everything. It is the absolute bedrock of what we hold to as believers. Nothing else. And it's the only place where absolute truth resides in the entire universe. It's nowhere else. This book is true. You can believe it. But the church has always, always, is always facing danger. Always. Jesus says, Matthew 7, 15, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. Matthew 16, 6. Watch out and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Legalism. Mark 8, 15. Then he charged them saying, Take heed, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. Leaven, that ingredient makes dough rise, right? Jesus is warning, beware of the false doctrine of these heresies. Don't let them grow and spread. We know that's what he's talking about. We just read Matthew 16. A little later he says, Then they understood that he did not tell them to beware of the leaven of bread, actual bread, but of the doctrine of the Pharisees and Sadducees. And then Luke tells us, Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Phony religion, externalism to the heart, legalism, ritualism, ceremonialism, Everything on the outside, nothing on the inside. Jesus says, beware. These charlatans, they have no heart. Beware of the Sadducees. Acts 23.8, Luke tells us, For Sadducees say that there is no resurrection and no angel or spirit. They didn't believe in immortality. That's a liberal mindset. There is no hereafter. Beware of liberalism. And we just read Mark, beware of the leaven of Herod, political ambition, materialism, secularism. Jesus is saying, guys, beware. You must follow and pursue the light and run from the darkness. Don't embrace any of this false leaven. Beware, avoid the legalism, the ritualism, the ceremonialism, the skepticism. The externalism, cut that cord, have nothing to do with it. Now, these Colossians were raised to respect the Sadducees and the Pharisees. And they grew up in the Herodian dynasty. But he's saying, respect their position, 
But beware of the simple ways and the teachings. Cut it off. Don't let the world influence you. Don't let legalistic religion influence you. Don't let liberal religion and false systems influence you. Stay pure. And we see it throughout the New Testament. Luke, Acts 20, 29. For I know this, that after my departure, Sabbath wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, and also among you yourselves. Men will rise up, speaking perverse things, to draw away the disciples after themselves. Therefore, be on the alert. Paul, Philippians 3, 2. Beware of the dogs. Beware of the evildoers. Beware of false circumcision. Peter, 2 Peter 3, 1. You therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, on, be on guard. Test. Being carried away, lest you be carried away by error and unprincipled man, you fall from your own steadfastness. I know you've heard this because your pastors teach this Bible. They teach this truth. But one of their primary duties as a church leaders and elders and pastors is to guard the flock just against these type of threats. Wolves, perverse men, as we just read in Acts 20. Jim Mudd is probably the closest friend I'll ever have. And we share to help each other in ministry. And he has told me some things that I'm sure you are not aware, church, of some of the battles that the leadership of your church has had to fight to preserve the gospel within this body. Pray for them. Pray for us. They need it continuously because Satan never rests. He never stops. It comes continually. Every single church in every country throughout time has had to fight to hold its doctrinal purity. Satan's learned, and I know you've heard this before, Satan's learned that he cannot destroy the church. So instead, he wants to join it. He wants to get in here and corrupt it, sway it away from the truth from the inside. Be aware. Pray for your church. Pray for your leaders. These, these charlatans, they say, they, same thing throughout time. We know what you don't know. We have a system that's higher than yours. We've been given a higher revelation. Ever heard that? We have superior knowledge and understanding because we've been enlightened. Knowledge and insight that is well beyond yours. A truer system than you Christians have. And you don't really know the truth until you know what we know. Same thing. Perpetrated, perpetrated, perpetrated. Changed a bit, whacked a bit, add a bit. Throughout time. Parents, ever had your child come in and say something like, Mom, Dad, did we come from monkeys? No, dear, you, you didn't come from monkeys. Well, my teacher says we came from monkeys. My book says we came from monkeys. My teacher says that all the scientists say we came from monkeys. So we must have come from monkeys if everybody thinks we came from monkeys. That's why your kids need to be in Awana. That's why your kids need to be studying the catechisms. 
And that's just memorizing Scripture, right? That's why your kids need to be in church when the church meets. It needs to be a constant pattern in their life. How many of your homes, there's a question of whether or not you're going to church on Sunday night? Shouldn't be a question. Your family needs the church. Christ instituted the church for us. He knows our sinful nature. He knows that we need it. We need the continual, urging, prayerful worship because we're going to fall into these falsehoods if we don't have it. Tradition. It can grow and fester. It can make its way into the very fabric of our understanding. And eventually it can get elevated in the church's teachings to a point that is even superior to Scripture. It's hard to even contemplate what I'm about to say. But I say it out of love. This is to warn so you'll be empowered with the truth. I'm going to read directly from some Roman Catholic literature. Here's what it says. Many non-Catholics believe that the Bible is the sole rule of faith. Amen. We do. They hold that any teaching that is not supported by the Scriptures should not be accepted. Some Protestants, Christian, put it this way. If a teaching is not found in the pages of the Bible, we can't believe it. This position is referred to as sola scriptura, Scripture alone. On the contrary, the Catholic Church believes in both the Bible and the sacred tradition. She believes that the sacred Scripture is the Word of God, and she venerates it as she venerates the Lord's body. However, the Church believes that the Bible does not contain materially all the essential truth of the Christian faith. And that's from Dave Verbum, Article 21, Second Vatican Council on Divine Revelation. Quoting from the Catechism of the Catholic Church, number 85, the task of giving an authentic interpretation of the Word of God, whether in, its written in, whether in its written form or in the form of tradition, has been entrusted to the living teaching office of the church alone. Its authority in this manner is exercised in the name of Jesus Christ. It's in His name. This means that the task of interpretation has been entrusted to the bishops in communion with the successor of Peter, the bishop of Rome, or the pope. What does Paul tell us in 1 Corinthians 12? Why don't you turn there? Let's look at it together. 1 Corinthians 12, 12 and 13. 1 Corinthians 12, picking up in verse 12. Now we, let's personalize it, that's us, that's you and me, have received not the spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. And what has been given to us by God? His Word, enlightened by the Holy Spirit, right? These things we also speak, not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. We use the Word to prove the Word. Enlightened by the Holy Spirit in our understanding. 
Here's what John MacArthur says. The Catholic Church, y'all have heard of John MacArthur? The pastor in California? The Catholic Church not only infallibly determines the proper interpretation of Scripture, but also supplements Scripture with additional traditions and teachings. That combination of church tradition plus the church's interpretation of Scripture is what constitutes the binding rule of faith and practice for Catholics. For Catholics, De facto, the church sets herself above Holy Scripture in rank of authority. And what did we say a moment ago? This book is all sufficient. It's scrolling on your website. It's all we need. And just because someone says something again and again and again does not make it true. If you equate tradition with Scripture, it can lead you to heretical beliefs. Warning, beware. Where does it take you? Here's another quote from Catholic literature. She, and that's Mary, plays a subordinate but essential participation in the redemption of souls. Oh, my. Because of her free consent to give life to Christ, through which she shared his life, suffering, and death. And that means that you cannot be redeemed, born again, saved, justified, without Christ's works and Mary's approval. Many of you know this. Many of you were saved out of this. And I would not stand in your pulpit and say this if we didn't love the people that believe these traditions. We love them enough to say, watch out, beware. We love them enough to say, this is all you need. The gospel's all you need. We love them enough. Do you love them enough to share it with them? To be bold for the gospel. The second source that Paul says, elementary principles. Some versions use the term rudiments of the world. He might be describing a false belief system in Colossae as rudimentary or too simplistic simplistic for mature spiritual adults, right? Descending or regressing from mature spiritual teaching to the infantile teaching of a religion based not on advanced thinking and wisdom, but on silly and childish thoughts. 1 Corinthians 1, 18 through 21. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Praise God for His grace. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent, Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through wisdom did not know God. It pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. Praise Him. The philosophers think this is graduate stuff, right? But you know what? It's really on par Paul says, with like goo-goo-gaga, right? Kid talk. 
It's ABCs, rudimentary principles, instruction fit for children. Same phraseology in Galatians 4, 3. Even so we, when we were children, we were in bondage under the elements of the world, meaning the elementary teaching of human religion. Salvation by works, Mary, whatever, same deal, same, same old, same old, keeps, keeps pressing on. Same terminology in Hebrews 5. You need someone to teach you again the first principles. For everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. You know, my wife hates it when I use the term God TV. Y'all know the religious programming. I don't know how many times you've actually turned over to those stations and viewed them, but there's a lot of this on those stations. I tell you to beware. I would say that you need to find a good church. Oh, this is one. Trust me. That loves the scriptures. Loves the word of God. Committed to teaching the scriptures. Because there's so much out there that leads people astray. It is everywhere. Paul says, beware. So if you're going to God TV, religious TV, to get your understanding, I would beware. I would beware. If you're going to any and all, some internet pastor, I would beware. I would know about the individual before I started to soak in some of the teaching. I would understand what they truly believe. Is this all sufficient? Is this all you need? Is this where you're getting every ounce, every piece of information you're sharing? Rightly discern using Scripture to determine Scripture? Your pastors aren't perfect. They're going to make mistakes. But their focus is to teach this Word. Pray for them. There's another type of these term rudiments of the world, a second possible meaning. Back in the ancient world, it was referred to as elemental spirits or spirit beings. And people then were bound up in astrology. How about that? There's people today bound up in astrology. Passed down from generation to generation, decade to century to century. Julius Caesar was an astrology buff. Do you know that? His whole life governed by what he thought the stars told him. Alexander the Great, same. Devout believer in the influence of the stars. Believing that unless you have the secret knowledge and the secret teaching, knowing the right passwords and knowing the right formula so you could escape the fatalism built into the stars. Only we have that secret information. You need to come to us and understand it. And Paul knew that the Colossian church probably had some of that. What if these philosophers are right, they might have been thinking. And Paul warns them at the heart of his message to them. Let's look back at verse 8 again, the end of it. We'll go into verse 9 and 10. And not after Christ, 
right? Everything else, not after Christ. For in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And you are complete in him who is the head of all principality and power. No need to be captured by philosophy. You are complete in Christ. Verse 9, for in him alone dwells, still dwells, the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and you are complete in him. He is still deity. He is still the fullness of deity. Just like he was if you went back and read chapter 1, verse 19. For it pleased the Father that in him all the fullness should dwell. There's been no change. The whole fullness of God dwells bodily in Christ. In him continually dwells. It doesn't come and go. It isn't temporary. All the fullness of the deity of God in a body. And how could anyone possibly deny it? All of these philosophies are lies that we simply don't need. And why don't we need them? He, if he, Christ, is all there is of God, then you are complete in him. I'm reading this over and over because this is important. You are complete in Christ. That's it. Only him. We said yesterday, if you pass from this life lost, guilty of your sin, not forgiven, why does eternity, why does Punishment in hell lasts forever. Why can't eventually, 20,000 million years from now, it's, you finally pay the price? Why? God's character. This is what the Bible says. God must punish sin with death. There's no forgiveness of sin except through the blood of Jesus Christ. That's it. There is no other way. Praise Almighty God. For his plan of redemption through Jesus Christ our Lord. Does this weigh on you? For those that don't believe. For those that don't know it. Does it weigh on you where you have to? Not that you want to, but you have to share it with them. God literally passes himself to us through Christ. (laughs) How wonderful is that? And it has eternal results. Is there anything better than eternal hope? Could there possibly be anything better than eternal hope? Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Does it not make him precious? Does it not make him the desire of our hearts? Every moment of our lives? 2 Peter 1.4, you become partakers of the divine nature. Wow! Instantly you become spiritually complete with eternal fellowship with God. Amazing. Complete salvation, complete forgiveness. Paul adds a third thought. We're going to go outside verse 10 for just a second. Go to verse 15. Complete victory. Having disarmed principalities and powers... He made a public spectacle of them, triumphing triumphing over them in it. Victory over evil. Satan and the demonic realm. Victory over all of it. 
complete salvation, complete forgiveness, complete victory, what possibly could any philosophy add to that? Somebody said, hey, what does it mean to be a Christian? What does it mean to you to be a Christian? Do I got to go to this event and that event? Is that how I guarantee that I'm in heaven? What do I got to do? What's that mean? Christian. Do I got to recite a ritual, a prayer? What, what, what do I do? What do you say? True Christianity, true biblical Christianity, you can't do anything. You can't. Our blessed Lord and Savior did it all. Sufficient. Sola, solus Christus. Christ alone. That's it. Believe. Commit. Faith. Who gives you the faith? God. Who gives you the ability to repent? You got to turn from your sin. God. He infuses this righteousness into us. Praise be to Him. What does being a Christian look like? Look next to you. Look at the person next to you. The people next to you. People who love the Lord. Who love this word. Committed to growing and learning in His church. They want to be with the body of Christ. The church. They want to worship the Lord. They love Him. They're going to love His people. They're going to love His Word. Your heart brings you here because Christ first loved us. You were transformed. You were converted. You were regenerated. You were born again. Everything comes through Christ. Wow. You don't need a philosopher, some author, some playwright, some novelist, some academian, some movie maker, some talk show host, some psychologist, sociologist, religious leaders with some you know, all various opinions, streaming across your radios and your TVs, literature we read, we read. Everybody has a new way of life. Everybody has a view of morality, importance, existence. You know, that means we are in a postmodern world. There is no absolute truth in the world. That's what the world believes. It does not exist. Absolute truth does not exist. You got your truth. He's got his truth. They've got their truth. Oh, how wonderful. Everybody's got their truth. And it's okay. We'll be tolerant of their truth. And I say, love them enough to tell them the truth. I don't say that. God's Word says that. Love them enough to tell them the truth. You don't have to be a naysayer. You don't have to poke them in the chest. You love them. Brother, sister, come to my church. Come on Sunday morning for Sunday school where we can talk about it openly. It'd be kind of funny if y'all started going back and forth with the pastor, right, while he's preaching. That's not the method we do. Sunday school is where we get to the nitty-gritty. Well, we get to the nitty-gritty here, but where you can ask those questions. I was in a church a couple of weeks ago. They have people that take note, ask questions. They write them on a card and they stick them in a box. And Wednesday nights, they, they talk about this message because we don't have that back and forth during the message, during the sermon, right? I think that's great. 
Ask your questions. Totally, completely transformed without any of this other stuff. The truth. They say you can't know the truth about eternity. You can't know the truth about origins. It's possible to know the truth about plan and purpose of the ages. It's impossible to know the truth about heaven and hell. It's possible to know the truth about the will of God. Unless God tells you, and he did. It's right here. We have answers to all of it right here. God-inspired, infallible, inerrant, sufficient Scripture. Philosophy cannot advance man. Matter of fact, it goes the other way. It regresses him. Every single worldly philosophy that does not include God takes him away from truth and takes him to an eternal damnation. That's the truth of the Bible. That's the truth of God's Word. We are fully, fully complete. The Christian's search is over. Is yours? Have you found it? As believers, we cannot conceive of anything else we possibly could need other than Christ. Can you? What could it possibly be? There is no authority, period. There is no hope, period, except through Jesus Christ our Lord. That's the message that Paul is pleading with the Colossians to believe as he warns them about the falsehoods and the charlatans in their society and those that are trying to infiltrate his church. And it's the same message to us as they're trying to infiltrate your church right here. Are you in the battle? Are you in the fight? I don't mean poking fingers in people's chest. No, that's not the Christian's way. That's not the believer's way. We love them. We pray for them. We plead with them because we love the Lord. We love the gospel. We love the truth. I'm going to close this morning. Verse 10. In him you have been made complete. Bow with me. I'm going to read as our final prayer, Jude 24 and 25, if you'll bow with me. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy, to God our Savior, who alone is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion and power both now and forever. Amen. Amen.